Kicking off the first episode of 2023 is a super conversation I was lucky enough to have with the legend that is Krista Dillon. Krista is an author, writer, coach and sport horse producer who runs the uplifting page Black Hill Eventing on social. Krista's love for eventing began when she watched Lucinda Green gallop around badminton and since then has become a passionate young horse producer and she has vast experience and knowledge in eventing and show jumping. Not only has she written an incredible book called Red on the Right, she has also worked her way up to writing for many publications like Eventing Nation and she recently joined Irish Country Living as a farmer's journal as an equestrian columnist. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. As we were recording, I really didn't want our conversation to end. Krista is such a kind, heartwarming, incredibly passionate person and a shining clue in the many topics we discussed. From the importance of listening and holding space while coaching, ensuring we understand the importance of communication and language, the community and eventing, and so, so much more. I cannot thank Krista enough for her time and I really hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the Pastilian Sideway Podcast, and I am so delighted to be joined by writer and coach Krista Dillon. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, this has uh, this episode has been in the talks for a while, and I'm so delighted that uh, Krista gave up her time to give me um, a lovely episode on the week of Christmas. So I guess happy Christmas to all of our listeners and a happy New Year. And yeah, I guess we'll get started as we always do and tell us how you got into horses. Um, I, they were just, I just was, I suppose. My mum was always involved with horses as well. And I had my first pony from two years of age. Uh, and it was pretty much a slippery slope down from there. Um, <laughs> I, I never wanted to be in school. I always wanted to look out the window. I wanted to be outside doing things with horses and yeah I just kind of never really grew out of that unfortunately um so yeah um that's it they were just there and they're still there so they're still there that's the most important thing (laughs) yeah (laughs) and and when you kind of got into horses was there any particular like discipline that drew that you got kind of were drawn to the most or you know kind of other um guests that I've had on the podcast have had that typical Irish upbringing where they did a bit of hunting did a pony club bit of show jumping everything like that um I grew up on the Isle of Man so I I missed all that cool stuff but um I remember watching Lucinda Green and Bruce Davidson showing my age now going around badminton in the kitchen in our house in the Isle of Man when I was probably about five years old and that was me done like I, I just it was eventing mad from then on um and I was about 10 or 11 and someone had given me Ginny Elliot now, but she was Ginny Leng then, Ginny Leng's autobiography. And that was, that was absolutely amazing. And I've just been eventing mad ever since. I evented for on and off for like 10 seasons myself, but with my life commitments and stuff now and my husband and my son and our business and things, it's just not possible to do it anymore. Um, but even without competing at the events, you know, just watching the sport and, and following riders and horses and the championships and the big five stars it's just the greatest sport and I just love it so much so yeah it is it is the ultimate test I guess it's I suppose for myself like you know I've always dabbled in eventing and I kind of went off and did a bit more dressage at one stage but I've always kind of kept coming back to it you know and what was it you know when you were at that time when you were competing what did you love the most about competing you know kind of some people the idea of competing 
really doesn't appeal to them. But you know, what was what was your kind of draw to competing? What did you get out of it? I just loved being at the events. I love being a part of the sport. Um, I think events generally are a fairly sound bunch because, you know, it's a it's a dangerous sport and everybody accepts that without necessarily talking about it. But I think it makes people very humble. People are, you know, they're nice. They're, they're, someone will always help you out if you're a bit stuck. You know, it was just always a nice atmosphere and nice people. You'd see the same people at the events and everybody would ask how you were and you'd ask them how, you know, how they were. It was like a community around, around the events. And I just used to really like being at, at the events. Um, I always found it difficult because I had a succession of what I can, I, I can honestly only describe as ragtag horses to event. I never actually had a proper, proper horse. I was always cobbling together bits of yokes of questionable uh, mental uh, slash physical stability. But um so for me to get three things right on any one day um, and achieve any kind of success was more of a, a hit and miss affair than I had originally hoped it would be when I was five. Um, but at the same time, you know, it was always interesting. There's always something new. Um, and as I said, there's always, you know, new people coming into the sport and getting to watch. I think one of the cool things about horse sport, whatever discipline is, like you, you can be warming up at an arena with somebody who's been to the Olympics three times. And I think that that's so cool because it's really unique to horse sport. Like we don't tend to get it in other, in other, in other sports. Um, and just always being around people who are much better than you or people who are kind of making good progress that you nearly can't help but improve. Um, just even watching and, and as I said, just generally being a part, any kind of a part of the sport, you're going to improve as long as you're watching and looking. And the senior riders I've, I've always found have been very, very um, free with their information. Like if I ever had a problem about you know, a question about a fence or a combination or something, I could go and find someone and they'd be, they're talking through it. And it was just great. I loved it. And I do really miss it. But, you know, barring something changes in the future, um, I'm going to be one of those old people dwelling on the back in my day stories, I think, forevermore. <laughs> what I love what you mentioned there is, um, I suppose, first of all, the kind of community like in in eventing and it's not to say that it's not there in other sports but like you may, you raise a very important point about you know that it's dangerous and I think everybody kind of pulls together to make sure that everybody gets home really safely um and you're right like <clears throat> with the fact that you know you could be standing in in a, in a warm-up with somebody that's been to the Olympics or championships and stuff that kind of um willingness to help from the top level riders is so important and I guess it really helps with you know the younger up-and-coming generation to strive and I think like I hope we never lose that about the sport that you know if you have a question that you can go off and ask somebody you know for help because there's absolutely no shame in it you know like it's, it's, it's a tough enough sport as it is and I think that it's so valuable that if you need help it should, you should be able to ask for it, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, like, I think, you, like, God forbid, if something goes wrong on a cross-country course at an event, you know, it's it's not a measure of the sport, but if something goes wrong on a course, it affects everybody in the car park. Mm. You know what I mean? Every single person at the event is affected by that, whether they know the person or not. You know, when something, you know, it, it, it just is. If the course is held, it affects everybody. Everybody's looking and wondering, is everybody okay? And mm. yeah, you know, of course... As you say, it's not to say that in other disciplines there isn't a strong sense of community and people don't have each other's backs. Of course they do, of course they do, but I've always just found it to be a little bit different eventing than it is 
you know, in show jumping or in, in, you know, in other disciplines that I've been involved with. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose with your, you know, because you're still competing now, um, what would be your proudest competition moment today that, that kind of stands out in your mind? God, that's a tough one. Um, so the National Dressage Championships, which is like, like the world's most boring answer ever, but the National Dressage Championships in 2019, I had a really, really difficult year personally. Um, and my my good grey mare was just absolutely on fire. She was on the top of her game and she was brilliant and she she did really, really well and I had a really nice time. Um, this is Ping, I believe, is it? This is Ping, Ping, my 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 darling horse. Um, so yeah, so she she's but she's been brilliant. And then this year, like she she's had health issues and stuff, and she hasn't. She's an extremely good jumper, um, but she's she's had sort of a few issues um, over the years with her health. But we kind of have her quite well at the moment. And and this year, she actually got back out jumping, and she hadn't been out to a, to a jumping show in like three years. And oh my god, it was the best track ever. So like it's stupid to say, oh, I took my horse out and I trotted around the 70 centimeters and it was the best thing ever. But it, honestly, it was because, you know, to have her back out and in such good form was, was massive. And I've had some good days out eventing as well. And won, won a few events with one of my homebred horses back in the day. I see back in the day, I'm like pure boomer talking here now. <laughs> um, you know, so any of those days where where you have success is great, but sometimes you can have the proverbial shit day on paper but you know that the horse has dug deep for you you know the horse has improved you know the horse has given you everything it can and it's tried really really hard and it doesn't have to translate into results um mm. to be a really memorable or special day for you with a horse so I've had lots of those and I've also had lots of days where I've had to sort of find a positive and cling very hard to it in order to maintain enough enthusiasm to go to the following the following show the next weekend um but yeah so I, I, it's a couple of wins I had eventing were really really cool especially on a homebred horse um he was a really it's always good. even more special isn't it yeah definitely and then pretty well everything I've done with ping has been amazing because she's just so cool um and then you know yeah so like I don't have any like massive results behind me I really don't um but I I love the day-to-day -day training and the knowing the horses and who they are and what works for them and that kind of stuff so quite often my better days for me personally are not necessarily reflected in the results but what you <clears throat> mentioned there about um you know the days that you were talking about in terms of like okay on paper might have been um you know I, I suppose like a wow but I suppose taking the paper results away and what you have achieved in the actual competition I think it's so important to highlight that because you know, it is very easy to get caught up on just focusing on the paper results and not actually focusing on the process. You know, you're kind of focusing more on the outcome because, you know, if, if you constantly focus on the outcome, you're never actually seeing the little wins that happen inside the arena, whether it's, you know, yeah, like, I, I, can't, I don't know why I can't think of examples. No, I better counter strike off lead or better turn in the jump off or whatever it may be. Yeah. I think it's so, it raises such a valuable um point there about people kind of you know okay maybe today wasn't great on paper but however internally in the competition it was it, it was much improved yeah definitely and like I've produced a lot of young horses over the years um and you know with the, with the young horses especially you know because whilst I've produced young horses that have gone on and done well they generally would go on and do well with somebody else you know and so for me 
um, I always really enjoy following a horse's progress that I've started if it's gone on and done well. Um, but more than that, when you produce a lot of young horses, you really do learn to appreciate the small things. And, you know, and of course, that's why I'm not, you know, at the Olympics or whatever, because it's not necessarily a winning mentality to be, you know, as you say, delighted that you've got a better canter stripe up here or a better this or a better that, you know. I don't know that it's it's not like a, a cutthroat winning mentality, but at the same time, um for me anyway it's 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 not always about the results like I love the process I love the grind the day-to-day not in the yard I hate yard work I fucking hate working on stables (laughs) the day-to-day with the horses especially with the younger ones we get to know them you get to work out what works for them you know what they need where they're weak where they're strong what their best attributes are what they need a bit of help with and try and keep everything as strength-based oriented as possible in your education of a horse um you know so they're always growing confidence and they always think that they're like rock stars going back to the stable so that's important to me um and I suppose in that way I can produce nice horses that that then when somebody with a slightly more I don't know maybe more more ability more skill or a better more more sort of winning mindset than me they can come along and they can really do something with that horse you know and, and the world needs these producers you know we can't all go to the Olympic Games like do you know what I mean so like you have to find the value in what you can offer, even if it's not maybe what you dreamt it was when you were five and you were watching this degree on the telly, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, but but I like I like what you you say there in terms of like finding finding I suppose your niche for the one for a better word and like you know having the kind of qualities that you have and like loving the day to day work with young horses and getting to know them that is so so important for the early stages of you know learning the trade and stuff like that so like you know you are a valuable stage in their career you know whether they go on with another rider just explaining that you know producers are important and also like finding what you value and finding what you're good at is so important yeah, well, I mean, like, listen, people are very we're lucky. Uh, people are very lucky in Ireland because we have a lot of very good producers in this country who can do everything. They can start the horse, they can educate the horse, they can take that horse up the levels, they can do everything. Like we've got so many exceptional riders in this country, but like you might, I, you know, I'm not that rider. I can do this bit well, but I can't do that bit. You know, so it's kind of you have to kind of acknowledge your strengths and not see what you can't necessarily strive for as as a failing it, you know you have to go all in on your strengths and as I said we are lucky in Ireland because there's so many great producers to learn from and the producers in a lot of you know they, they've you know you'd never be done learning from some of the really good ones in, in, in Ireland and, and you know we're lucky to have them we're lucky to have such a strong quality of horses being you know churned out for competitions and sale in, in Ireland we're very lucky um, but as I said you know for me of course, I always wanted to compete at, at a higher level. I probably, honestly, hand on heart, still do. But it's not likely to be my reality. It's just how my life is. But I have a really nice life, and I know where I'm strong, and I know that I can do a good job on a horse, and I'm, you know, I'm happy with that. Um, so, you know, it's just to kind of find what you can do. Yeah, yeah. And with the current amount of horses, then that you have, do you have a big strain at the moment, or you know, um how many like young horses do you like kind of take in at a time um well we're in the middle of a bit of a revamp at the minute um mainly because 
I had a really, really good young horse this year that I lost. Um, and, you know, that's part of having horses, you're going to lose them. But after a couple of up down years, for want of a better description, she was such a nice mare. She was, she had everything. She, she could move. She, such a great job, amazing personality. You know, everything was really, really good. And I, I suppose with my two older horses, I thought, well, you know, when you have a good young horse like that in the yard, it gives you such a spring in your step every day coming out. It's not mm. to say I'm not grateful for my older mares. I am. They're incredible. I'm so lucky to have them. But when you've got that potential, like on the one hand, you should never really hang your hat on potential because it's just potential. Um, you know, and a horse that has lots of talent that you can't necessarily access for whatever reason is just an athletic horse. It's not actually talented if you can't find a way to work with that horse to get it from it. Mm. Potential is a dangerous little thing altogether. But this this particular horse was giving everything she could and she was great. And I just was so hopeful and I felt like I had something kind of positive on the horizon with her no matter what else went on because she was just great um and I, I found her out in the middle of a bog in the middle of nowhere in Roscommon and she just was so great and when I lost her I just kind of really you know it, it sounds it's not I'm not being poor me about it but there's only so many hits you can take and it just felt particularly cruel to lose a horse that was doing well and was giving so much and was trying so hard um and it really just was a kicker to lose that so I kind of at that point I thought well you know, I've got two really, really nice older horses and I, I never spend enough time doing the older horses because I love doing the young ones. So the, the older horses tend to get to a certain point and then that's it. Um, and I've just decided to stop doing the young horses for the time being. and I'm going to focus on my two older mares next year and just go and enjoy them, make the most of them. I'm so lucky to have them um, and, you know, train a little bit, compete a little bit and just put my energies there. Um, I still have the five, five-year-old mare. Um, she's a 14-2-year-old mare. She's did quite a bit last year. Um, she did a bit of, good bit of dressage, some show jumping. She did some working hunters and stuff like that. But I have to find her a new person because as much as I love her, I, I re like, where am I going with my 14-2 pony? Do you know what I mean? Like, so <laughs> I need to find somebody who really wants a 14-2 pony. Um, and if I do that, then I'll just have my two older mares to concentrate on. Um, so that's that'll be my my little bay mare um, who is a maternal half sister of Ping. They're as different as chalk and cheese. They really are like they're like the odd couple, but they're, <laughs> but they're so cool. They're so great. So yeah, long long winded answer, but yeah, it'll next year hopefully it'll just be those two. So you have one looking for a, po a new postcode. I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying not to use <laughs> podcast as a medium to sell my horse, but. <laughs> Yeah. Anybody looking for a fourteen-two pony? So, as I said, if I can just put my energies into those two, then, um, and also I kind of, you know, want to sort of move on a little bit with the coaching side of stuff too, um, yeah. you know, and maybe try to be, you know, a slightly better wife and mother with a little bit more time as well, instead of my poor child and husband kind of having yeah. to know where the hell I am and am I coming home again ever? So. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry to hear um about um the loss of your mare. I do remember um reading about it, and it is, I like you know, it is one of those things we all say. You know, we we know that that is horses, but like some some are particularly difficult um to take. And you know, I'm I'm sorry to hear about the the loss of her. And I guess like, you know, sometimes taking a step away from something, you know, like that. It's, it's not to say that you don't appreciate the older ones but I suppose you kind of just 
go out and have fun and just you know enjoy them and stuff like that well that's it you know I mean like it's what you take from it you know at the end of the day you can only do the best what you have with what's in front of you you know and sometimes it doesn't work out um and that's just how it goes with every aspect of life excuse me and it's just to try and take what you can from it um and find a way forward it's not always easy and sometimes it takes time but you know eventually that's what you have to do so in a way you know in the end it might be the best thing for me just to double down and pay a bit of attention to my older ones when I'm so lucky to have them instead of constantly being I'm like a child in a sweet shop I'm like young horse young horse another young <laughs> horse you know I, I just love doing them so much so yeah you know that's how it's gone and this is the decision I've made on foot of what has happened and then that's it so we'll see how it goes and you mentioned coaching so um we kind of well I suppose I I know you through you know like of course Black Hill eventing and I guess through a few mutual um coaches and you're involved with Centre 10 as well and how did you get involved in kind of coaching is that kind of something that came naturally with the job of just working with horses no actually not really um I it was a good few years ago and I was it was actually it was an open emerald and a friend of mine was having a bit of a or a bit of a situation with a horse and she asked me what I thought and I offered some pointers and what you know from what I was looking at and she did it and it worked and that and that's not to say that you know I have all the answers I have none of the answers but it just on this particular occasion it happened to work out and the horse <laughs> was all, you know just but again like when you produce a lot of young horses you know you, you sometimes you have to find very alternative routes to a, a more traditional goal um and so it just happened to work out and, and my friend um she was she was really like oh my god why aren't you coaching like and I was I had never thought of it before because why would I have I just didn't she was very encouraging um and so I went ahead and started um did my center 10 advanced coaches um uh qualification and started to sort of do a little bit more um and yeah so it went from there I didn't teach it all last year um just because again it's difficult to fit the time fit it in around the family and the business and everything but like this year with less horses to ride I'm hoping to kind of do a bit more um so yeah um the center 10 course is really really good like I'm very interested as I've already pointed out in how horses think and who they are and what they understand but I think there's you know with um with riders it's it's just as important um so you know if you can kind of look at the two things and find ways of i suppose new ways to tackle all problems i guess everybody's different how we get two together like yeah it's interesting it's really interesting and when you get someone really determined who wants to work really hard it's extremely rewarding it makes it makes the job so much easier doesn't it yeah like I have one girl who's she stayed she's uh, stayed with me all the way along she's been amazing she had a terrible terrible accident off her horse and you know like I learn as much a lot of the time I would learn as much from them as they hopefully will take from me she was so brave and so resilient and she would come days and she'd be wanting to throw up and she'd be trembling and white as a sheet and she worked through her problems and through her problems and through her problems and she's out and doing all sorts with the horse and competing and going wherever and she has overcome so much and it could be quite humbling to see somebody dig so deep and achieve so much um 
you know, from such a horrible situation. So, you know, there's every bit as much for a coach to take from a dynamic as there is hopefully for a rider. Yeah, yeah, no, that is like, that is so um, important that although like, you know, coaches are the one, you know, kind of in comments teaching and instructing or whatever coaching, you can, it can really open your eyes when you build that relationship with a rider and almost, you know, really kind of take from their life experience. Yeah, you know what I mean? Some people, honestly, they're moving mountains to get things done. What they're achieving in their day-to-day, just being able to get on a horse and go and do things, it's staggering. You know, there is so much that we would, some of us would take for granted, me anyway, take for granted. You know, you kind of get on the horse and you ride the horse and you just get on with it. But there is, for some people, it's literally moving a mountain to do that, but they do it. Mm. You know, I just think that's incredible. So, yeah, I mean, there's just even into even like mad things like you know center 10 is great because they work so much around the language that you use um and I, I i find that particularly interesting um you know working out what 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 you know how you communicate with a rider like what works best for them what phrases do they understand what how are you explaining things you know and the, the feedback and the communication with them is is really really interesting because it's different from person to person and if you get it wrong it's an absolute mess and everybody's frustrated and no one's achieving but if you get it right and the communication lines are open and there's a good back and forth the whole time it's a really really good positive and cool learning environment for everybody yeah yeah and everybody talks about like you know that light bulb moment and I know like uh, people often refer to the light bulb moment as you know a rider getting it or whatever but it might not necessarily be that the light bulb moment might be for the coach in a new way of kind of describing an exercise and a language that they understand you know and so much of the communication is like I suppose asking the right kind of type of question because you know there's so many ways you can ask kind of one question it's just the way that it's asked that the rider understands yeah totally and even even I find that there's pieces of information that you can know, absolutely. But but when someone presents that same piece of information to you slightly differently, mm. you know, you might know it, but you're not maybe using it or it hasn't sunk in fully or whatever. And then someone will present it to you differently and you go, oh my God, yeah, that's true. It's almost like you forget that you knew the thing and then someone reminds you differently. And I don't know, <laughs> it's kind of, again, you know, it's just down to what works, but um, it's all in the finding out um, and that's, that's that's a really interesting cool bit of it all yeah yeah and what um what kind of you know coaching habits and advice have you learned from um other coaches because you know like earlier on we were talking about how you know we can be standing beside arena for, with somebody that's been to the olympic and we're able to kind of ask riders and stuff questions but from and it might not necessarily necessarily be other coaches but what kind of like advice and you know, tips have you learned from other coaches that you kind of take into your coaching philosophy now? Um, listen and hold space. That sounds awfully hippy dippy, but like if someone is trying to explain something to you, well, it does. It's a bit wind chimey, but it isn't. If someone's trying to explain something to you, like shut up and let them talk and let them throw their words out in whatever order they're jamming up their head and try and pick something from it and work with them that way like you know 
when you get enthusiastic about something or when you like to talk like I obviously do you know you can be inclined to talk in a space where, where someone just needs space to kind of get their thoughts together not everybody can bang out what's in their head straight away in a way that makes sense to you and you go oh yeah grand sometimes they need space and they need to chuck out words in mad orders and kind of sounds like nonsense but you you get to put it together a bit um so yeah just let them talk and hold space for them and um you know be patient and wait and don't be too clock watchy you know yeah sure an hour is an hour and you're getting paid for your time and it's important not to have a situation where you're giving someone two hours when you're only getting paid for an hour but sometimes things run over or sometimes things take a bit longer or sometimes in the middle of a coaching session something else out of the blue will come up and you'll have to change direction from what it was you were intending to do today with your rider or your rider wanted to do you just have to kind of be flexible as well and yeah hold space for them listen and, and be flexible I love that I love the um the listen and the whole space hold space for them in that you know like whatever order they get it out in because then you know you're kind of summarizing it back to them and then you collaborate and you kind of come to that conclusion then together and the you know I did read a quote before that horses don't wear wristwatches you know and like they have all day and you know there is that balance of you know not doing two hours when you're only getting paid for one but like you know it is important to kind of if I suppose trip hitting the fan and you're technically only supposed to have five minutes left, you can't just leave that rider and horse trip hitting the fan at the end of the session. You know, it is important to kind of work through things. And I suppose just be kind of, you know, not saying that you're not generous, but, you know, be generous and kind of, and it might not even be sorting through like a physical problem with a horse, but sometimes I find after the session, you know, if, especially if it's a good session, all the kind of all the feelings come out at the end of the session and stuff like that you kind of have to let them have that moment where they offload whether it's good or bad yeah and as well as that although again you know it's a tricky one because you know we're all busy and we're all broke right that's that's the bottom line it's easy to have you know parameters in as much as you know like you put this much in and, it, and, and you get paid this much and, and that's fine. But I quite not, I mean, obviously not, not this last year because I haven't been coaching, but when I was coaching a lot more, like I quite liked it if they felt, you know, if they could maybe let me know how they got on on a day at a show or if they were having a bit of a wobble beforehand, like drop me a WhatsApp or chat or whatever. And I've had a couple of coaches over the years that have done that for me and I appreciated it so much because it, it it's just sometimes you can have that moment before you get on the horse and before you go in the ring when you're like, oh my God, I'm going to die. I can't do it. I can't remember how to ride or whatever. And if you're lucky enough to have someone who can kind of go, you know, <laughs> I'm mm. having a panic attack and they're like, no, no, you're fine. So this thing and this thing and this is good and this is good. Don't worry about it. And you got it. It's Sometimes you just need someone to give you like five minutes of like, come on, dude, you can do it. And it's really cool to be able to be that person, especially mm. having had that person be there for me. Um, and so for me, I kind of think that it doesn't all just begin and end in the arena. I think it's it can be good if you, you know, with long-term clients, if you have a little bit more of a sort of a far-reaching sort of support system going. But again, like as I said, you, you know, you don't want to be 
working your ass off and getting paid for very small amounts of that. But at the same time, it's not all about the money. Like God knows we wouldn't be involved in horses if all we were ever worried about. I mean, we are worried about money because it's going out. But if all we were worried about is the pounds, shillings, amounts coming back in again, and everything was like done to the letter and done to the last minute, she would never get anything done. So I think, as you say, you have to be a little bit generous. But if you can, with the coaching, one thing I have found, as I said, that's, that's worked well for people is just to be a bit more available at other times when they might need that bit of a hand or that little bit of a confidence boost or that little bit of a note you've got it you're flying you're going really good you've overcome so much and this is brilliant this could be easy you know something anything doesn't really matter but just a bit of positivity on the end of the phone good thing it it can really it can really mean a lot for somebody like that in that kind of crisis point you know I don't want to say crisis but you know what I mean like in that kind of critical time yeah, like a, a like a WhatsApp, a voice note can really change. Yeah. And like change the warm up from going, oh God, to oh no, it's okay, I I I got this. You yeah. know what I mean? And I actually think that should be quote of the year. We're all busy and we're all broke. <laughs> we are though. I mean, it's true. We are. But it, like I said, it's it's not just down to, you know, hours and minutes and seconds, and euros. <laughs> You know, it's it's bigger, yeah. more than that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I really, I really appreciate that. And with kind of, you know, I suppose coaching in general and the advice that you gave there in terms of like listening, giving space, you know, being generous, you know, I suppose with, with that line of not going overboard and running yourself broke. But like of all those things, would you say that those things are the most important things or most important attributes being a great coach or do you have anything to add to that um as for being a great coach i i don't know i've trained with lots of great people um and i would never claim to be one so i don't know but one of the things that i part that matters a lot to me personally um is to be strengths-based you you can take and this is controversial now there are some people who think this is absolute mumbo jumbo okay so i'm entirely like entirely prepared for that but if you take a rider on a horse and you're working with them and they have five things that they're weak on or not weak because that's not fair but you know what I mean that they struggle with they need a bit of a hand with and they've got 10 things that they're good at and you spend every single training session you have with those people doing those five things they're weak on just because they're good on those 10 things over there like The more you drill someone about what they're shit at, the more shit they feel. That's the bottom line for me. So I try to be very strengths-based, very positive about the strengths that a horse and rider separately and together have for the simple reason that you you breathe a bit of positivity into them, their confidence grows. And very quickly, the things that are hard for them are no longer hard for them. They find it easy to work through the stuff that's difficult. They don't have the same mental block going in. Whereas if you spend every single session bashing away at what they're shit at or what their horse is like, ooh, do it or can't do it or doesn't know how to do it. You know, you can always come back around to that, but you can come back around to it differently than if you go mm-hmm. ahead first at the hard stuff. So that that's an important one for me, personally. I don't know if that makes a great coach, probably not, but it makes me a coach and that's what I like to do. No, I, I 100% think that it makes you a great coach because I guess, you know, like, with those sessions where you come out and you feel like you know you feel on top of the world 
like a rider that is good at 10 things they're good at 10 things for a reason yeah. you know what I mean and like I think it it often things are focused on the weak points but let's just say one of those 10 things is like going down the center line really really straight where the rider gets seven and uh, sevens and eights all the time if you keep working on that strength you could end up getting a nine maybe even a nine and a half possibly even a ten and that makes up then for the weaker past that a rider feels more positive going into you know maybe the left shoulder in is slightly weak or slightly stiff but they know right okay that shoulder in maybe wasn't so good I'm going to go down that center line I'm going to make sure I get a nine and a half for it to make up for the weak weak inverse commas kind of shoulder in does that make sense I think that makes for a better more confident like you said confident positive test and rider rather than just going in saying don't mess up that shoulder in people like people who are confident are people who feel good about what they're doing I mean confidence is a fluctuating thing it's it's a difficult concept but people Mm -hmm. who are genuinely okay about what they're doing not necessarily running away with themselves thinking that they're, you know, look but I mean, people who are genuinely comfortable and happy with what they're doing. Mm. Everything is better. Not, you know, their attitude is better. They cope with everything better. They're less hard on themselves. The perfectionism that some of us, unfortunately, are afflicted with is less of a big deal. You know, when they, when they have a good attitude about what, what they're doing, when they feel good about what they're doing, as I said, just the good things are better. The bad things get better. And overall, their general attitude to training, their ability to cope with setbacks, their resilience, everything improves, everything gets better if you're breathing a bit of positivity into it. And that's not to say you bang your drum when you tell them they're brilliant when they're not. Like, that, you know, like, you know, it, it, you can't tell people fibs either, but at the same time, <laughs> you know, find the positives. And yeah. one of the things I've seen a good bit coaching, and it actually is quite upsetting, although they might be unique to me, I've had people come to me with really very ordinary horses, right? Just horses, nothing special, not going to the Olympics at all, just horses. But all of these horses, like every person that sits in a horse, they've all got positive attributes. Mm. And I've had quite a lot of people over the years who have gone for lessons with XYZ person with their normal horse. And the trainer has either dismissed them or actually been quite rude about the horse you know then they the rider is obviously going to be sort of you know they're upset uh, because they love their horse or they feel a bit negative about what they're doing in the, in the same way as you can find 10 strengths in every single rider that sits on a horse in front of you fuck you can find 10 strengths in every horse like these animals yeah. are incredible they let us get on their backs and ride them around and ask them to do mad shit that they are not designed to do <laughs> every single horse they're incredible animals they're ridiculous they're ridiculous how willing and generous they are in, in spite of everything. Um, there's, you know, so even if somebody's coming to you with kind of quite a plain horse or a horse that's maybe not a, a particularly athletic horse, for God's sake, find things about the horse to love and hang your hat on it. You know, same thing, have a strength-based attitude towards the horse as well as the rider. There's no point going, yeah. well, you're a great rider, but your horse is shite, you should get another one. Forget about it. That's not your business. Mm. You know, pick the positives and work with what you've got. Yeah. Just you know be good to them and show them that they have got positive show them they have strengths you know lots of people come to you and they don't believe anything they don't think they can ride they think they're letting their horse down they you know everything they do they're critical of themselves it's not so hard to turn that around 
with a bit yeah. of support and a bit of encouragement and highlighting their positives yeah no that that actually like really really speaks to me because I have been in that position <clears throat> with an inverse commas ordinary horse and in fact you know he's a little color cop and he had gone on to do amazing things you can probably hear me getting emotional about him but he's 22 and he's done amazing things and he would have been that ordinary horse that would have gotten dismissed or isn't athletic or anything like that and I think like whether it's like a little boy or a little girl or an adult that animal is their whole world yeah and even though it can be like you know easy for somebody let's say like that one to go up the level to say oh no he's not going to go up the level you need to get a bigger flashier thing and that's not to ditch the bigger flashier horses but people are working with what they have yeah. and for those ordinary horses or for the ordinary riders whatever it is it is so important to realize that they can go places when they put the training and you yeah. know put in the training put in the hard work and for coaches to remember that that horse is that rider's whole entire world. You mightn't like its color, its height, the way it moves, whatever it is, but it's their whole world and you have to find the positive because it can destroy a rider's confidence, yeah. which it has mine if you go to somebody that thinks that your horse is a piece of shit. 100%. 100%. And, and, and you know what? Honestly, it's not actually any of the coach's business. Unless the horse is really dangerous, which is a whole other, that's a whole other avenue altogether. Unless <laughs> the horse is entirely, you know, dangerous and not suitable and you, you know, whatever. But if somebody is coming to you on a horse that tries hard, I have to tell you, I'm four decades into this sport or into this industry and nothing but nothing but nothing means the world to me like a horse, any horse that puts his heart and soul into what he does and tries hard and tries to work with you. And even if he is a bit physically limited or if he struggles a bit to learn differently, you know, or whatever, or he can do this, but he can't do that, it doesn't matter. If that horse has given you everything he's got and he's what you've got right now, then you deserve to have a coach that looks at that horse and goes, this horse is actually unbelievably cool and you guys are great together. What can we do? Instead yeah. of the horse's shit, get rid of it. I just can't deal with that. And like I've had, honestly... A, an upsetting number of people who have had this experience it's just not okay like you know coaches are there to help and support and encourage they're not there to take people apart and as you say you know for some people these horses are the epicenter of their universe every penny they have every dream they have every day off they have every minute they're thinking about this horse mm. somebody comes along and slates this horse yeah well where can this go from here nowhere yeah. Nobody needs to have that experience. Yeah. And I think like it makes I I don't agree with the fact that um, you know, like, oh, you know, your horse is sick, get a get a get a new one. Like I sorry, I'm what I mean is I like I think that people can think that horses are disposable and oh that one is shift, get rid of it. Where is the um where is the willingness to I suppose, explore what might help that horse that might be a little less athletic. Or I suppose, like, riders and coaches aren't looking at, at that situation from a learning point of view of, okay, this horse is not so athletic. 
what exercises can we do does that make sense i i hope i'm kind yeah. of making sense in that way like you know i think is if people treat horses like they're disposable they're not willing to work hard enough to see what helps it or see the diamond in a rough or whatever does that make does that make enough sense yeah I, I think it depends on the person I think if you're a very ambitious rider and you're going places and you have a horse that's maybe you don't get on with it or perhaps you know isn't quite what you were hoping for or whatever you find somebody else for that horse who who does appreciate that horse's attributes and you use that horse going to a more suitable rider and maybe selling that horse to a more suitable rider and then you have finances to put into finding a horse that suits you better to achieve your purpose that's absolutely fine yeah situation I was never in that situation I had to make do with what I had and so you learn and now that's not to say that that's right for everybody you know you shouldn't necessarily have to bang your head against the wall if it's not suiting you or isn't suiting the horse but by and large if you have a nice horse and he's doing his best for you and he has a few shortcomings well you know what so do you so at the end of the day you can find someone to work with you that can help you to find the the positives from each each dynamic each each individual and as you say part of the interest for me is what does work for this horse it doesn't work for that horse like I said, yeah. my two mares are sisters but like the odd couple <laughs> what i can do with one there's no way i could do with the other it's just <laughs> that's just how it is um but i no more like i wouldn't dream of selling them and getting rid of them or you know it's about finding out what works for them they're interesting they're fascinating horses are teaching every single time you put a foot in the stirrup every single time you open a stable door horses got something to tell you yeah you're always learning and it's a privilege it's a real privilege so i think you have to do what's best for you and for your horse but 100 agree with you there's a lot that can be done uh differently with different horses that can turn them into things that you never dreamed possible mm. and 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 that's part of the fun too so yeah yeah um so with all of that um i absolutely loved everything that you were saying there it was just it was so so valuable and i think it's just solid advice for coach not only for coaches but for everybody to be mindful of the animal that they have and you know especially from a coach's point of view you know focusing on the positive and yes we can be going to coaches in order to you know, help strengthen our weaknesses, but to not forget about the strength. And I guess moving on to how the the part of social media that I love, which is the Black Hill eventing page. There has been so many times, Krista, where I have found myself laughing out loud reading through your posts. And I was just before we started recording. Um, when I was researching on you, Krista, I found some amazing articles that you did. Um, that I highly suggest our listeners um checking out some on Eventing Nation, and you said on some on Horseplay as well, didn't you? Yeah, and um, Eventing Connect as well was a Canadian website I used to write for. Yeah, Eventing Connect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess what was your motivation for kind of setting up? Um, you know black tail eventing was it always something that you wanted to do and yeah tell me tell me how you got into it so i set up the page um eons ago um, <laughs> i think it, it was my last season well i didn't know it was my last season at the time but it my ended up being yeah second last yeah last season that i evented my little homebred horse 
who um who I would have to do a whole of the podcast explaining this horse to anybody to be honest but <laughs> he was unique let's just leave it there um and I had finally finally I was doing the two-day event there used to be an autumn two-day event at Tadassals and we got to wear our tailcoats and I was so excited I was like oh my god this is so cool I'm gonna pick it all right all I honestly all I wanted I didn't give a shit what happened all I wanted <laughs> was the top hat we had top top hats were still allowed back then that's how yeah again showing my age um but I wanted the top hat and tails dressage picture like so bad like so bad right <laughs> so I was entered for that and it started raining as it does here and it pissed down and pissed down and pissed down and then the event got cancelled and then he got you know he had issues and stuff and so he didn't we never got to get to that point again but in the run-up to that I was like oh I'm gonna like try and be a bit cool so I set up my black eleventing bait and I got my I got a jacket like black eleventing. Like, what a wanker. I got the jacket like black eleventing on the back of it, right? I was just like super cool. Um so then the event got cancelled and uh yeah, and then that didn't that didn't happen. But that was kind of my motivation because I was like trying to be like, yeah, like you know, somebody to follow. Uh <laughs> but anyway, then eventually it sort of it's just morphed into basically a brain dump for me where I go to my cynical ranting about the weather, <laughs> moaning about stuff and sharing mad experiences I've had. And there is an unbelievable community following that page. They are so fun. They are so great. And it's like my favorite thing every day is just going on there and getting to sort of the comments people leave and the messages they send are just great. Um, so it has actually grown into far more than I ever intended it to be. No one is following me because I'm fucking cool, a cool event writer now. They just follow me because I just run mad stuff all over the page. Um, but it's fun. It's really fun. So yeah, that's kind of how it started. And that's still how it's going. Mm. Oh, it's, it's the corner of the internet that I love <laughs> so much because I know on previous podcasts, you know, I, I suppose, not put a downer on social media but you know it like, like everything it had to, it had its pros and it had the cons oh for sure and I guess whatever I guess whatever formula or whatever moves you're in it can really like either elevate it or you know make it worse but always you know whether it's like a, a post-show report or a reality check of why it is just not suitable to have horses in icy weather whatever the topic may be <laughs> last, week was, last week was there was plenty of content from last week yeah definitely <laughs> <laughs> yeah of like you know of just a mad group of of horsey people and I think it's just and I've spoken before about how you know it, horses it, it can be an isolated sport for so many people you know if you're not on a big yard with with groups of friends or whatever you know it can be definitely yeah a lonely place and like I just I really appreciate what you what you what you put up there you know what I mean yeah but to be, thank you first and foremost thank you but like I'm that that's me though I'm here on my own you know which probably makes it even more disturbing the stuff I write on social media like oh my god there's actually something really wrong with you um but like I'm here on my own you know and I'm trying to like, self-motivated and trying to keep going and I don't know I'm, I think I'm just too stupid to quit at this point because I'm still here still bashing away at it still getting nowhere but at the same time you know stuff happens and, and I can kind of see the fun in things a lot of the time and I'm just trying to kind of make it a bit of crack um and and, and sort of pick the humor 
if you just keep following the humor you'll be all right like you'll find a way through if you keep laughing <laughs> it's when you can't laugh anymore that you've kind of really got a problem but um yeah like my life is it's mad like like mad good I mean it's just but it's really random like insane things seem to happen to me it don't happen to anybody else and what else am I going to do? I just share that on social media and let everybody else have a laugh too because inevitably, you know, it breeds a bit of community, it breeds a bit of chat. And as you say, like when you're on your own all the time, like it mean, sounds a bit tragic, doesn't it? Why are we friends who are on the internet? But like, it kind of is a bit like that. Um, social media is, like we're lucky with that page. We're lucky with that page because by and large, it there's, there's very minimal trouble. There are other people who have far bigger followings and who are much cooler and much you know more sort of at, you know on, on the on the job than I am and they have a terrible time you know what am I trying to say more um uh influences that are sort of more well known and they have a terrible time you know they get horrible messages horrible comments and stuff by and large I don't get that uh people usually comment about my swearing but which is fine we're all right with that <laughs> um, but <laughs> most of the time there's no trouble but I do have a really strict policy with it of not engaging if there is just block ban the user delete the comment and move on people are entitled to think what they want to think they're entitled to write what they want to write but you don't have to respond and actually the less bother there is on any Facebook page the less fighting the less squabbling over who has shoes on their who's using turmeric the better you know um so i'm quite strict about that um just keeping trouble to an absolute zero and it makes yeah. it a nice community for other people then too yeah yeah no like like you know it, you're so right to to do that because like one one negative comment we 15 20 more like you know and like you say we're do you, you you're doing it for fun it's an isolated sport it's all our little corner of the internet when we're trying to warm up with a hot water bottle in the middle of skipping out of stables or whatever, where you can just think like, is anybody else as crazy as me doing this? <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's a little escape, you know what I mean? And you're right to, you know, have a zero policy about it because there is just no room for it. You know what I mean? No. And at the end of the day, it's, it's a sad fact. There are so many incredible people in the world and you know, that's, that's true. But there are some people who just genuinely really like making somebody else's life shit on a day-to-day basis, you know, by the medium of social media. And that's okay. But you don't have to engage. You don't have to accept it. That's not, you know, I, I just mean in terms of people leaving comments or whatever. Obviously, if it's more serious, you have to do something more serious about it. But I just mean the day-to-day Facebook trolls, for example, people leaving nasty comments and stuff you can just leave it you can just delete it and move on and try and keep you know your own headspace nice and your own facebook nice um and not engage in it it is a sad fact that people there are people out there who just really enjoy um making it not a very nice place but at the same time you know you can choose to not engage up to a certain point you know if it's just low-grade nasty comments or whatever yeah yeah, it's yeah. more ongoing or if it's more invasive then that's not it's not that easy uh and nor should you necessarily just ignore it but i mean i'm just talking about lower level yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff you know not 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 worse than that but um yeah. 
yeah, just try and keep it as safe as possible and as enjoyable as possible for everybody. Um, and I like to use it as uh, an authentic place to post. Like I don't really hold back. I don't censor it. There's no Insta life going on. <laughs> it's it's just <laughs> warts and all. It is what it is. Um, because I think, you know, keeping it as real as you can uh, and keeping that sort of focus on being as authentic as possible. I think it it it, it unites people because there's loads of people out there who maybe don't want to post about their life on the internet, but they might want to, they might read yours and be like, oh my God, me too. Um, you know, that's not to say people who want to post nice pictures and don't want to get into it. That's cool too. Like, I mean, that's really great. It's nice to look at that. But at the same yeah. time, for me personally, that's my direction is just to be very authentic about it. And it, it is very, very much appreciated. You know what I mean? Especially like, you know, we, we all know, like, on a Sunday evening, you know, we go on Facebook in the evening and you see all of the, the I suppose, like, post-competition reports and stuff like that. And, you know, I, like, it is not that you're, it, it, let's say the day didn't go as planned. It's not that you're delighted for them that the day didn't go as planned, but I guess you feel less alone if yeah. your day didn't go as planned. You know what I mean? And I think, like, um having thinking about you know what you're going to put on social media if you didn't have because you had a bad day and just say oh no I won't put out anything up at all okay that's fair enough that's for that yeah. person to deal with but I think it is refreshing to know that oh somebody else had a inverse commas maybe not their day and yeah. okay you're not happy that that happened to them but you feel it's it, I suppose it's more relatable yeah exactly and at the end of the day you know, you've got to be able to laugh at yourself like I said you can keep finding the humour in it mm. you know, as long as you come home safe and your family is safe and your horses are safe and, you know yeah. you didn't mow anybody down on a bicycle on the way home or whatever <laughs> as long as you've left the world reasonably intact and, and you're, everybody else is okay you'll find find humor in it like maybe you did yeah. something unbelievably ridiculous that you would never normally do but instead of sitting <laughs> there and going oh my god I'm such a terrible person like why did I do that just be like what the hell was I doing and like you don't have to tell anybody about it you don't have to post about it on social media but don't kill yourself about it either you know yeah um we put so much weight on so much stuff and, and it's one of the one of the rare perks of you know, as I said, I'm such a boomer. Being at my age is that <laughs> you, know, you start to realize it, it doesn't really matter that much. Of course, hold yourself accountable. Of course, learn. Of course, hold yourself to a standard. Yeah. It doesn't work out like you're just a human being and it's just a horse. Yeah. You know, like it, it'll be okay. As long as you're yeah. on your feet and you're all, it'll be okay. You can come around again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not. I mean, if you're like jumping off for individual gold at the Olympic Games, yeah, probably don't screw it up. But you know what I mean? <laughs> Even if you do, you do. Um, but jumping clear around your 90s and reaches the 110s or whatever, or, you know, trying not to run out at a corner or trying to actually get a dressage test out of a horse that's not interested in doing that because it would rather <laughs> pooning around like a racehorse. Well, it doesn't matter. You can come around again. Like, it'll be all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's just recognising as well that it's, we're in a privileged position to be able to go out on a Sunday 
and you know if if the height of our problems on a Sunday evening is worrying that we took the fence from four to five a little too tight then we count ourselves fairly lucky yeah, like, easy you know, yeah easy and if it doesn't work out like I would say take the lesson and ditch the rest so like yeah. like that, you know, if your term from four to five wasn't good, fine. Put your polls out and work hard on it for the next week. Work with your coach on it. Get it right, as right as you can. Mm. But ditch the rest of it. Ditch every other part of it. You, you know, it doesn't matter. Just yeah. take the lesson and the positives and get rid of the rest of it. Don't be dragging it around with you because it's heavy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I really, really love that. And... I guess we, you know, just to kind of start wrapping it up a little bit, I guess we kind of spoke about, um, you know, maybe a challenge in terms of um, losing your beloved horse. Um, but has there ever been any other challenge uh, kind of throughout your career that you're happy to kind of, I mean, you don't have to go into the details, of course, but, you know, I suppose a challenge where you've had to overcome, um, you know, with horses, of course. It is a guarantee the challenges come along with it. Say, how long have you got? But has there ever been kind of one that stuck out, I suppose, that kind of, you know, really changed the game for you, I suppose, changed the way you look at the sport or how you cope with setbacks or anything like that? It's kind of hard to answer because like that, you, you learn something from everything, good and bad, and then, you know, if you if you want to. Um, yeah. I suppose, yeah, like that, the mare lost this summer, that kind of, as I said, it was just was a bit of a kick in the chops and that kind of made me think, well, you know what, maybe we need to look at doing something a bit differently here. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, it, it, like there's so many setbacks with them that's where like we're all insane like I mean who else would would you know if you said to someone like you know you're going to become a tennis player but your racket will constantly go mad or its strings will snap and it'll, you'll lose it or it'll run <laughs> at the wrong time or you'll think you've got a perfect shot lined up and the ball will end up in the next old car park. like if, if that was your racket and someone had to work with their tennis racket they'd be like I'm not playing tennis it's stupid and by the way, every time something goes wrong with that racket, it'll cost you thousands to fix it and <laughs> months of time. They wouldn't play tennis, you know what I mean? So I think there's something just fundamentally a bit wrong and wiring with all people who are involved. <laughs> um, um, one of my little homebred horses um, that I invented, he, he was a really, really tricky horse. And I could never really get on with mares. I never really liked mares when I was younger. I could never get on with them. They always seemed to need so much, you know, careful handling. And I just was so ambitious and I was in such a rush and I was in such a hurry all the time. And I wanted to be better now and I wanted to be further up the ladder now. And I bred this little horse and he, he was tiny. He was only like 15 hands. And he was born with his ears peeled back. And he was a very grumpy horse. He was he used to make arbitrary decisions about absolutely everything. He was incredibly spooky. He was an app like he just was an absolute dick, to be honest, in every way possible. <laughs> but I loved him. He was just amazing because he was the best jumper to date I've ever sat on. He was incredible. He was he'd have he'd read a question three fences back. He was such a genius. 
So for all the nonsense that he put me through, like literally every single day, I can't even tell you how traumatic owning this animal was. It was horrendous. But he, he gave a lot back too. But what I found with him was, even though he was a gelding, he was so complex and so difficult and everything was such a finite negotiation. He, in a way, he totally sort of ruined things for me because I was, previous to him, I was so ambitious and like I said, arrogant, which, you know, we all learn not to be, but I was like on it. I was going to do it. I was going to like go to the top and I was going to be somebody. And he just fucking wrecked the plan completely. By the, time he, by the time he finished with me, my ambitions were gone up in smoke. My progress, I don't really know. But you know, I actually learned more from him than I've ever learned from any other horse. He really made me think. He made me listen. He made me understand. He made me find different ways to do things. And he made me understand what it was like to work with a horse that maybe wasn't always reliable or ever. Um, and that you, you know, you, you often times had no idea what was happening now or next or what just happened. He was just a disaster. <laughs> but it was kind of odd because not, you know, towards the end of that process, um, someone sent me a mare and looked ready to ride. And I got on it and I rode it and I thought, God, this is really straightforward. And it's an, I hated mares, I hated them. I was like, this is really like good. This is such a straightforward horse. It must just be a really like, you know, gildingy mare or whatever like they're not and then I got another one and I thought god this is brilliant this horse is great I love this look at us working together and it's brilliant and ever since then all I've had is mares and I absolutely love them oh was so much more complicated and difficult than any mare I've ever ridden in my life ever oh um, my god I mean, he completely taught me how to be able to get on with mares and now I only ever ride mares like all I have to know and I love them. I love them so much. I wouldn't buy a gelding now. No offense to geldings. <laughs> but he taught me how to cope with a lot of public humiliation. People laughing at me. Me crying at shows a lot. A lot. There was a lot of crying at shows. Crying on the way home. Crying at the horse box. Sometimes even crying before I got to the show. You know, he was a nightmare. He was a nightmare. He was an absolute disaster. <laughs> but he was a brilliant jumper. And he taught me things that I sincerely hope most other people involved in horses never have to learn um but it, you know he grounded me he taught me to get over myself he taught me to yeah. think and to look at life through the horse's lens not my own and to park my ambitions and to think about what mattered to them you know and I, I really do owe him so much even yeah. though he was such a knob but I do owe him an awful <laughs> lot. um so I think that's probably he was probably one of the most influential um, horses I've ever known or ridden or been lucky enough to, to have. And he did change everything for me because although a lot of what I thought I wanted then didn't happen, a lot of other doors and possibilities were opened because of him. So he was really pivotal for me. That's... Um so so insightful because I know in the moment of having I suppose like an inverse commas like difficult horse or you know a, a challenging horse it, the pain can feel excruciating in the moment because sometimes you can it can be very hard to see how this horse can help you you know or how, what like that how how 
you can look at it from a new perspective, but it is always the quicker, more challenging one that really, really teach you a lot, isn't it? Crazy. Yeah, and, and this thing, I think with horses, it can be difficult in the moment when everybody around the arena is laughing at you because, well, I'm not, I mean, that's silly because to be fair, at most horse shows, no one ever laughs at anybody because we're all aware that that person's having a crap time, it'll be me in five minutes. That's not the perception that people are laughing at you is what I mean. Yeah. You know, you're so humiliated by the fact that this is yet another shit show. Um, I think that even when horses are behaving in a way that we perceive as undesirable for whatever reason, we have to remember that they're horses. And yeah. behavior is, is not, is, is, would be better for the horse if behavior was reframed as information. You know, because they, they react as a, as a prey species, they, they do everything for a reason. Horses never do anything for no, no matter how much it feels like it when your stupid horse is spooking a stupid wheelie bin, a stupid gen. <laughs> but like, <laughs> behavior is still information. It's always information. Um, yeah. One of the things I learned in recent years was that the, the frontal lobe that sort of dictates behavioral patterns in humans, horses actually have an almost non-existent frontal lobe. Um, and that really backs up the point, the behavior is information. He's trying to tell you something, even if it feels like utter nonsense. They're not capable of sitting there and going, as much as I realize it feels like this, but they're not capable of sitting in their stables and going, you know what, today when you come out <laughs> and try and take me somewhere, I don't want to go that way. I want to go a different way. So I've got this all planned out and um, screw you. They're not capable of it. They're just not. It really feels like they did do that, but, but they're not capable of it. Their neuro, their neuro types don't, facilitate those types of thought processes they're yeah. very, very intelligent um and they are remarkable animals but they are not capable of conspiring against you and as i said <laughs> at least 80 percent of the people who listen to this are going to be like they totally conspire against us. what are you talking about but they are <laughs> so if they're you know behavior is information that's the bottom line it's not good or bad it's just information it's just information and that is <laughs> That is probably the best phrase I've genuinely ever heard because we have all been there where you feel like they are looking at the leaf that just blew across them on purpose. It is not on purpose, you it's know. And about it's, leaf, generally. <laughs> it's not usually even about the leaf. <laughs> but like, it, we've all been there and that behavior is information. And I think like it's the difficult, more challenging horses, you know, not even as difficult or challenging horses, you're kind of going through a challenging period with a horse because we've all been there, you know, you go, it, it's peaks and troughs, you go through waves. And I think, you know, instead of kind of getting frustrated at the behavior, maybe kind of read between the lines and, and kind of look at what might be causing the behavior. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, one thing with horses is if you're doing something and it's not working, just stop doing it. Mm. Like, stop doing it. There's no, you know, that's it. Find a different way. Think it through. Step back. Look at all the component parts. But stop doing it. If in that moment you're doing something with a horse and it's going seven colors wrong, no matter where you are, and I'm like, stop it. Fine. You know, that's just, just pause a minute. In the same way as we have to hold space for our clients when we're coaching, we also mm. have to hold space for our horses. 
very, very, very important. And like, you know, the the the, the phrase of don't annoy the horse. Oh God, yeah. Not, could not be any more important in yeah. this conversation. Like, you know, just just don't annoy him. But if he annoys you, it's fine, don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> so that's <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. But Krista, before we recorded, I was already really, really looking forward to this conversation. And I have taken up so much of your time this evening, but I, you know, we spoke about the boys that you kind of get from coaching and stuff. Like, I am on such a high after talking to you. I really, really feel like, you know, we've hit on some really important topics this evening. And I really hope that people go away kind of, you know, feeling more inspired and I guess a bit more chilled about horses as well. You know, realizing that. It, we're, we're all out here trying to do our best we're all working with what we have and we're all trying to get through through the days and I cannot thank you enough for your insight and your knowledge and your experience um as a podcast to top off the end of 2022 but before I go I want to ask you one more question and it is what does success mean to you um, firstly, thank you very much for saying such lovely things, very kind, and for having me as well, it's been great. Um, what does success mean to me? Um, I think any kind of progress, any how you achieve it, be that, you know, a better transition, or a rosette, or getting a horse in a horse box, or finding a way for your client to kind of your coaching to understand you differently like that's really like as I was saying during the podcast it's the small stuff it's the smallest when something just feels a bit better or when something works a bit better or someone understands something a bit better you know of course you know you'd like to be like oh well when I won that individual gold Olympic game stuff felt like that was probably what success was of course that's what success is but sure how many of us are even going to get to see that in person never mind be that person you know um so for me success is it's all the small things the really small things because they are what make up they are the component parts of the bigger things you know and no matter what you go on to achieve or what you ever go on to to, to sort of do with horses or in your own life the small things are the important things you've got to put them in the bank you've got to put them in the bank if something goes well tiny thing goes well put it in the bank sit in there and be like yay that was so cool that was better or okay I, I understand that differently doesn't matter put it in the bank small things so that's awesome. a really really dull answer to be honest no um, it's the small things celebrate the small little things they add up to the big picture all the time all the time it's extremely cliched but it is true yeah yeah and if people want to kind of get in contact with you um, regarding anything in this podcast or coaching or anything at all, where can they find you? Uh, Black Eventing is my Facebook page um, or Krista Dillon 3 on um, Instagram and it's Krista Dillon 8 on TikTok. Probably don't watch my TikTok videos, but <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're a whole other education. Um, but generally, yeah, my most of my horse communication is my Black Eventing page on Facebook. Um, and uh, there's a WhatsApp link on there as well if anybody 
not suggesting people want to contact me for any reason, but you know, if you do, there's a, there's a WhatsApp link there as well. Perfect. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Krista. I really, I really, really enjoyed it. And I know the listeners are going to really enjoy it too. And just thank you so much for everything that you do. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you for being so kind. You're so nice. Thank you. It's brilliant. (laughs) 